train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It's the last day of this series, six weeks, and uh, as we've been going through this process, um, I, I've been thinking about it, and, and the, the verse up there that, that we're training for godliness, but it's not just for this present age, but for the age to come. This is a forever training that we're involved in here. It's not just so we'll look better uh, in front of our friends or in front of other people that are here in the room. It's, it's not for that. It's, it's not self-righteousness. But, but it's godliness, and it's something that we're commanded to train for. And, and we've been going through this process, and when we started this process, I was kind of thinking, you know, um, I'm a little bit afraid of doing six weeks on, on um, spiritual disciplines because my fear is that people will try and do them all, and they'll get frustrated, and, and then they'll just quit, and they won't do any of them. But as, a, as I've gone through this process, and I would be curious, um, not this morning, but to hear from you if, if you have found the same to be true, that as we've gone through each one of these disciplines, they all sort of kind of fit together. It's not like, you know, I sit down in the morning and I have this checklist of six disciplines and I check them off. It's like they all kind of happen at the same time. You know, two weeks ago we talked about finding times of solitude, finding times of silence, getting away from everything. And, and we see the illustration of Jesus in the Scripture, and that's what He did. And, and, and as I have been doing that this last week and the last couple of weeks, I've noticed that, that when I do that, I get time alone. What's the first thing that I generally do in my time alone? I open my Bible and, and I read a passage. I, I read a psalm or I read something. And that's what we talked about on the first Sunday was reading our Bibles, that, that this is our foundation. And then the next thing I do after I, I read is, is I begin finding myself conversing with the Lord in prayer. And that was the second thing that we talked about. And, and one of them that I have not practiced yet, some of you may have already in the last couple of weeks, maybe you fasted for a specific purpose. I haven't yet. Um, I haven't felt like that's something that I need to do yet. So that hasn't sort of fit into that process. But, but Bible reading and prayer has. And then obviously the solitude that we talked about. And then last week, at the end of that time alone with the Lord, I often find myself drawn into a response to what God is doing in my life and in my heart. And, and it becomes worship. And, and so it's not like, like we, we, as we think about things, these things, we think, okay, Pastor Dave gave us these six things, and Pastor Ty, we need to have this list and we need to check them off. As they become a part of who we are, as we practice them in our daily lives, they all really kind of happen together. And, and we need to remember that there are some things that you can't just try harder with. You must train for them. You know, you can't go out and run a marathon. You've got to work up to it. And, and when we want to have healthy souls, we can't just try harder starting today. There are different very, various things that we do that train our soul and our life. And that's what we've been talking about in making these things a part of our everyday life. And this morning, we're going to be talking about being transformed into servants. 
Servanthood, serving others. Now, back in 1985, I know some of you weren't born then, which kind of makes me feel old, but in 1985, I was in the Wyoming All-State Orchestra, and we were in Rollins, Wyoming, practicing. We were there for, I don't remember how long it is, three or four days, and then a, a final concert, right, um, with, with the All-States. And uh, every time that our orchestra took a break during the course of the day, whether it was a break, you know, to get the lips working again and, and get feeling back in your lips, or it was a water break or a potty break or what, whatever kind of break we took, we would always, almost all of us would run to the gym, sit up in the bleachers up in the balcony and watch the All-State Band practice. And, and here is why. The All-State Band in 1985 had a director who, I don't remember where he was from, back east somewhere, big, big name guy, you know, they bring, always bring him in for these kinds of things. He had a photographic memory, didn't have a piece of music in front of him. He had every score of every instrument in his head. And, and he's directing this 150-member band, right? With, with first, second, third, and fourth chairs of every instrument represented. And, and, and they were just awesome. I mean, the band was unbelievable. And, and we loved listening to them. And, and one time, during a practice, one of our breaks we're watching, he, he stops the band. He's like, cut, cut, cut. You know, wait, hold on. And all he has is a baton. You know, he doesn't have a stand or anything. He doesn't need it. He doesn't have music. And he points clear in the very back of the band. And, he, and then he says, and he names the measure. It was like measure 175, the third, the third beat of that measure. And he points back to the percussion section. And he says, there is supposed to be a quarter note triangle on that beat. I didn't hear it. And of course, all of the percussionists were like staring at each other. And I'm sure the guy that was supposed to be playing the triangle is thinking to himself, how important is my job, right? You know, I play one ding every 15 measures or whatever. Who's going to miss it? This guy did. He knew exactly where it was and he knew exactly where it needed to be. And, and as we go through, as we go through this illustration that Paul gives us today, what I want us to hear, and, and we've heard it before, is that God has given every one of us a gift. At least one. We all have a gift, and He wants us to exercise that gift. He wants us to use that gift in the midst of the, of the fellowship of the church and the ministry that God has for us and the mission that He has for us in the world. Okay? And if you are not exercising the gift that He has given you, there is a hole, just like there was a hole in that score of music that that band was playing. You may think to yourself, it's not that big a deal. I really don't have that great of gift. It wouldn't mean much, but you're wrong. You're wrong. God, God has us all put together like he put together our bodies. In fact, um, he, he, Paul uses this, the body as an illustration multiple times as he's talking about this. For, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So it's not just you individually and, and, and your gift, and it's not that big a deal. You, we all need to realize that we have been given a gift, and that gift is supposed to be used within the body of Christ with all of us together as a community. And, and if we're not... We need to start. We need to start using that gift. Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be camping out for the entire morning, actually. Romans chapter 12. 
Uh, It's page 1,123 if you just grabbed one of the Bibles underneath one of the seats in front of you. 1,123. Um, Paul uses this body illustration also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in Ephesians and in Colossians. It's an important illustration. And and it's a great illustration because, you know, there's a lot of people, they they sort of razzed. Not where I grew up because there was the majority of... if you went to Albin, you played, if you were a boy, you played boys basketball. If you played an instrument or you sang, or even if you didn't, you, you went to choir, you went to band. I mean, we all did it, so we didn't really make fun of people that were in band and, and choir. But in some of the schools, I know that those, those you know, fine arts kinds of people, they, they sort of, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're just not looked upon in, in the highest of honor. I'll just say it that way, right? Um, but, but a band is very similar to a football team or a basketball team or any other team sport. You know, because in, in, in a band, you have all the different parts and they all represent a certain part of the whole. And, and if one person falls down on their part, the whole isn't what the whole is supposed to be. And, and that happens in a, in a football team or a basketball team as well. If, if you've got a, a guy who, who stays out all night playing video games for two nights in a row and then shows up late to, to the basketball game and expects to play his position, who is he hurting? Yes, he's hurting himself, but ultimately he's hurting the team because he's not fulfilling the responsibility that he's been entrusted to. And we need to remember that we have all been entrusted with these gifts and we have a responsibility to use these gifts that God has given us within the greater whole of the church and the community and in the mission. Another way I like to think about this, this uh, body and these many parts um, is, is to look at the body of Christ as, as a relationship. We, we are in relationship with one another. And Paul is talking today about us being in relationship with one another and serving, not not only serving one another, but serving with one another. And in spite of this newness in Christ that that Paul has been talking about, um, you know, he says uh, that we have renewed minds, that that we are a new creation, he says in another place. Um, Even in the midst of all of that, he still seems to think it's important enough to say, look, this holiness... This um, healthy soul that, that, that we need to have, does, it's not automatic. It, it doesn't just come automatically or it's, it's not inevitable. Paul needs to, to plead with people and say, hey, this is, you need to be thinking about this. You, you need to be working towards this. So Paul makes these pleas. Holiness. Holiness is not something that, that we can get by trying harder. We must train for it. And, and that's what we find in Romans Chapter 12. Paul covers four important relationships, and we're going to go through those four relationships. The first relationship Paul references is our relationship to God. Paul references our relationship to God being transformed bodies and renewed minds. Um, Let's read that, verses 1 and 2, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, as good students of God's Word, what's the first question that we should ask ourselves when we read verses 1 and 2? What's the therefore, therefore, right? What is, what is Paul... 
Paul says, therefore, this. And what this is, is a response to something that happened or that he's been communicating before the therefore is in the passage. And, and what Paul has been doing for 11 chapters in the book of Romans is talking and describing and proclaiming the incredible, amazing mercies and grace of our God. He's been talking about how we as Gentiles are grafted into this family, how it's our faith in Christ that saves us. And he, he goes on and on and on and on in those first 11 chapters. In Romans 10, verse 4, it says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. What an amazing truth. No more ritual, no more law, no more regulations. It's, it's in Christ where we receive our salvation. Verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth of chapter 10 of Romans, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And, and, and this is so good that, that I don't even want to stop. I want to just keep on, on reading verse 11. Anyone who trusts in Him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. And verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Incredible mercy. Incredible grace. What good news. And Paul says, in light of all of this, these first 11 chapters, therefore, this is what we are to do. You see, Paul never gives... Paul never gives um, theology without giving application. You know, it, it, it doesn't do us enough to just know what Paul says. Jesus says this many times as well. You need to, to do this. Don't just hear it. Just let it go in one ear and out the other or even go in one ear and stay. It needs to work its way out in our life and that's what Paul is going to be describing to us today. Paul urges us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, not dead sacrifices like the pagans used to. I mean, they literally sacrificed people um, religiously and, and spiritually. Paul is saying, no, we are all living sacrifices. We, we, are, we are living, breathing, following the commands of Jesus, not conforming to the ways of the world. And, and if you have ever conformed to the way of the world... Anyone in here ever conform to the way of the world? Right? What happens when we do that? Bad consequences. Bad things happen when we conform to the way of the world. And, and Paul is saying, don't do that anymore. Don't, don't experience the destruction. You've seen it in other people's lives. Your, your parents, your grandparents have experienced it in their life. Learn from them. Learn from them. Let's learn from the Word of God. And, and Paul says that our very minds are transformed. Our lives are transformed. Our relationships are transformed. Our jobs, as we become more holy and conditioned, become transformed. Now, the Greek word that our English word transformed comes from is metamorpho'o. Okay, that's the Greek word. Okay, metamorpho'o. It's found um, in two other places. Actually, I think it's three. Paul uses it one other time, I think in Corinthians. And there's only two other places where it's used. And it's used in the book of Mark and in the book of Matthew, actually three, and the book of Luke. It's in those three Gospels uh, for the, when, when Jesus was transfigured. 
And, and let me read to you from Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured, or metamorpho, same word, before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Jesus is completely changed He's transformed, and that's the word that the Gospel writers use, and Paul picks up that word and says this is how we are transformed as well. Our minds are transformed. Metamorpho. Can anybody think of a a great um, science life illustration for metamorpho? Yeah, it starts out a caterpillar, right? Oh, no. Not that kind of caterpillar. Although that's a cool caterpillar, right? Um, there's this caterpillar, and and you know they're kind of they're kind of cute, maybe, but if you were to hold it in your hand, they might be slimy. I know there's some girls in here who who did a caterpillar to a butterfly, and I didn't think to ask them what it was like. But um, it, a butterfly goes, a monarch goes from this right here, and then it becomes this. Now, that is a perfect illustration of transformation. And that's the kind of transformation that happens in your life and in my life when Jesus Christ comes in and begins to transform us by renewing our minds completely from that caterpillar into the cocoon and then eventually into a a beautiful butterfly. And I would say that any person who is in the process of being and is transformed by Jesus Christ is absolutely beautiful. See, we are nothing like that worm or that caterpillar that we started out as. He is completely changing us. And as He completely changes us, then we begin to behave differently. We begin to, to, to desire to be godly. We begin to exercise our souls so they can be healthy. Soul conditioning affects our relationship to God. The second relationship Paul references is our relationship to ourselves. Our relationship to ourselves. Let's begin in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Paul is saying, hey, don't be thinking too highly of yourself. Have you ever been around somebody that thinks too highly of, your, of themselves? I mean, you know them, right? And you know they're not as highly whatever as they think they are, right? It's just really not very fun to be around a person like that. And, and I think a person that thinks too highly of themselves often ends up kind of living a lonely life because nobody matches up to it being as good as they are. And, and so it's just like they're just, you know, downing everybody around them, Right? Paul says, hey, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. You know, Paul warns us against this when it, when it pertains to our salvation. Paul, Paul says that our salvation is through Christ and Christ only, not by works. And, and why is it not by works? So that no man can boast. So that we can't be prideful about it or arrogant. It, 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 we couldn't do it anyway. And then Paul says, think of yourself with sober judgment. That word sober there means be self-controlled. Don't let yourself get out of control in thinking about yourself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul says it this way, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility 
Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So we are to serve one another, not, you know, hire people or find people to gather around us to serve us because we think too highly of ourselves. I think, I think Paul also um, hints to the fact here that we shouldn't think of ourselves too low either. See, don't think of yourself too low. Don't, don't think, oh, I, I just, you know, just, you know, you just, you don't think you're any good for anything. Nothing. It's just all negative. I don't have anything to offer. You know, I'm just, I, I have no gifts. I have no strengths. I have no whatever. God doesn't want to hear that. Paul says here, in, starting in verse 4, he says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So again, we all belong to one another. We are to serve one another. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You see, we all have a function. We all have a gift. And Paul says, when you know what that gift is, because you have that gift or a gift, you need to use it. If, if your gift is serving, then serve. If, if your gift is encouraging, then for crying out loud, encourage people. Don't just sit on your hands. Don't just, don't just be quiet. Do, do what God has called you to do as part of that little triangle back there in the corner, maybe. But if you're not, there's a hole there. There's something that's needing to be played that's not being played. And every one of us in this room is a part of the community of God, part of the body of Christ. God doesn't want to hear you say, I just don't have anything that I can contribute to the body. He doesn't want to hear you say, oh, I, I just don't feel like doing it. Or, that's for other people to do. If, if, you've, been given a, if you've been given the gift, if, you need to figure out what that gift is. And you need to use it. Um, we need to not be lazy. You know, if it's teaching, teach adults, children, be a part of the ministry here. If it's, if it's being generous, be generous. If it's serving in a ministry, uh, ushers, meals, buildings and grounds. I mean, there's, there's many places for people to fit in and there's many holes that need filled. And if you're somebody who has the gift and you're not filling the hole, the hole is just going to continue to be there and the body's not going to be complete. The third relationship that Paul references is our relationship to one another. Love and service in the family. Our relationship to one another. And, and Paul lists a, a few more, but I stopped, finally stopped the list at 12, and I noticed that in your notes, I tried to stop the list at 9, but I pushed through to 12, so you're going to have to add three extra blanks in your notes. Okay? But the transformation, the renewing of our mind that's occurring, these things are practical applications of that change. It's the working out of what God's doing in us into the reality of our life and in the lives of those that are around us. 
It's, it's similar, I, I kind of think of, of lifting weights, for instance. You know, as an exercise, there's, there's lots of different weights that you can do, but let's say bench press. You bench press, you bench press, you bench You put your muscles under strain, right? That's what you can do. You can use your mind and you can put your muscles under strain, but those muscles do something inside your body. They, they stretch and there's chemicals and there's all kinds of things that are working in those muscles as you are exercising. And, and you're not willing this to happen at all. It's just happening. Your body is doing it. And, and I, think it's, I think it's exactly the same thing when we go through this list and we think about how these things, how we work these things into our own lives and we exercise these things. And as we're, as we're doing these things, God is doing a work within us that only He can do. Let's, let's start in verse 9. Love must be sincere, Paul says. Sincerity. Um, not, you know, genuinely. Not, not like a hypocrite. You know, back in, in Paul's day, when, when the Romans would do their little theater presentations, you know, today we call them actors in Hollywood. In Paul's time, they called them hypocrites. They were play acting. You know, they were fake. It was not real. And, and that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying love must be sincere. No hypocrisy. Genuine. And he goes on, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. We're going to call that discernment. Hating what is evil. Clinging to what is good. Knowing, and knowing the difference between evil and good. And sometimes that takes time. And we can't remember. We can't rely on our own minds for this. We can't uh, re- rely on the, the laws of our nation to determine what's right and what's wrong because there's some things that are lawful that are immoral and not biblical. And, and I think the more practice that we get when it comes to discernment, the better we get at it. Like a, a, a bank teller in a bank. You know, as, as, they, as they see all of those dollar bills and $20 bills and $100 bills and, and all of those things come across, and there are different kinds of those today, you know, different printings of them. Some of them today have color when, when in, earlier on they didn't. But, but as those things have come across, they've gotten experience in recognizing what the real ones look like. And I'm sure as they have had examples of counterfeit ones come across, the, their bank branch owner has brought them to them and said, look, this, this is what this has and this is why it's counterfeit. And the more experience they get, the more they're able to tell what's real and what's fake. And it's the same way in our own life. As we experience and make decisions and, and we try to hate what is evil and cling to what is good, our, our discernment begins to strengthen in a healthy way. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Paul says. The Greek word for brotherly love here is actually Philadelphia. And of course, we know that Philadelphia is supposed to be known as the city of brotherly love, right? And, and it may be. But, but this, Paul, is, this, this, is not a, this is not a sexual kind of affection. This is a brother-sister kind of affection. The, the kind of affection that we have in this room for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Commit to that affection. Paul goes on. Honor one another above yourselves. There he hits it again. Honor. This one I'm going to call honor. Isn't it tempting when you're on a team or you're a part of a, a, 
an organization and somebody in that organization gets an award, isn't it tempting sometimes to say, oh, they didn't really deserve that award? Right? Right? Teacher of the year. Really? Really? I've seen this person. I've seen them re- respond in certain ways. You know, um, maybe, and, and maybe in the process of that thinking, you begin to think, well, I'm the one that really should have been teacher of the year. Yep, it should have been me. Um, what if, and this is what Paul is talking about here, what if when somebody in your particular organization or team or whatever gets an award, you celebrate it with them? You know, you cheer them on and say, wow, what an awesome thing you just did. That, that's great. What a great reward or award for that. You know, because I, it, it's like watching some of the sports teams around here. You know, one, one player will get an award by somewhere over here and, and you know, they're all excited and, and it's a temptation to, to sort of not be excited for them. But, but then, you know, a week later or two weeks later, one of the other people on the team, they get another award. You know, your time is coming probably. But, but why can't we just honor one another and celebrate with them and not celebrate against them or be against them? Verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is enthusiasm. Paul wants us to be enthusiastic in, in our spiritual lives. Um, don't, don't give up the zeal. He says, don't lack zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You know, I, I think, because sometimes we get, we get sort of, you know, stale. You know, I, I'm sure that in my relationship with my wife, in our marriage, there are times when I just kind of get stale. You know, I'm all about business. I'm all about work. I'm not so much about the relationship or, or whatever. And, and I can get in those zones where it's just like, you know, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you go to bed. You get up, you go to work. And, and life can get kind of boring like that, can it? And, and, and hopefully, hopefully, one of us, because... Well, maybe she wouldn't be the first to admit, but, but I would say that Sarah probably can get into that same zone too. You know, it's not just us husbands that can get boring. Um, I'm just trying to be fair, okay? I'm just trying to be fair here. The, the point is, hopefully one of the spouses recognizes this and, and can help the couple snap out of it. And, and what's a good way to snap out of the mundane in a marriage? Um, I would say go on a marriage retreat. Go to a conference to where you're going to be challenged by somebody else within your own relationship. I think the same thing is true in our spiritual life. If you get spiritually flat, if we get spiritually flat, man, let's seek out a Bible study or a conference or something. Something to shake up the routine so, so, that, we can look, so, that, so that God can help us see our life from a different perspective. And, and, and we can make some changes. Paul says, you don't lack zeal. You need to be enthusiastic. Let's, let's not get lazy. You know, serving the Lord needs to be our number one priority. And if it's not, something needs to change. We need to be sure that our zeal is rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer. And I'm, I'm just going to pick out patience from this one right here. Patient in affliction. It's, 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 and that's countercultural for us today. Completely against the culture. We are not a patient culture. 
You get upset at your boss at work or somebody mistreats you. You're not patient with them and try to work through something with them. You, you tweet about it or you post something on Facebook and hope that somehow that changes it. You vent. You, you vent your frustrations that way. When, when you, what you should do is maybe a close friend vent those frustrations and, and, and have them say, hey, you know what? Here's some advice in this case. Here's what I think you should do. We need to be patient. And, and remember that all of us are in different places in this process of discipleship, of, of soul conditioning. You know, we can't expect our 10-year-old or 14-year-old children to make the same kind of decisions in the same way that we make decisions now, after being a believer for 30 or 40 years. It's going to take time. Now, we need to train them. We need to teach them. We need to hold the bar high. But we also need to teach and train with mercy and grace. Thank God our Creator teaches us that way. He doesn't pull out the big foot and just stomp us when we screw up. He teaches us. He forgives us. He's incredibly merciful and patient with us. It's tough in our culture, but it's biblical. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Uh, verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. This is generosity. And, and notice that he says, share with God's people who are in need. First and foremost, um, it says, and above all in places, meet the needs of those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, we need to be aware of the needs that are in this room. Physical, emotional, you know, whatever it is. And, and if we are in a place of, of excess or in a place of abundance where we have the resources to help whoever we recognize needs help, then we need to help them. And that's, that's generosity. You know, it, it would be a shame, and, and none of us would ever even think of it, driving by somebody on the road if they were in the ditch, stuck in the snow, and we were driving a four-wheel drive pickup with a tow rope in the back. I don't think any of us would drive right on by without stopping and saying, hey, do you need a hand? Uh, that's what Paul is talking about here, being generous sharing with God's people who are in need. And then he says, practice hospitality, which is different than generosity. Um, hospitality, in, in Paul's day and age, see, they didn't, didn't have motels or bed and breakfast. So if you were going to go visit relatives in another town or you had to go to another town for a certain reason, you couldn't just call ahead and get a reservation for a night. You went there probably hoping that your relative that you thought lived there still lives there, right? So that you could stay with them. Or you have to rely on somebody else to be hospitable, to take in a stranger. That's what Paul is talking about here in hospitality. Practice hospitality. An opportunity to show people the love of Christ. Now, we may not go to the same extent as they went to in their day, but I would guess that there are situations that come along where we have the, have the opportunity to be hospitable to a stranger. Are we going to do it, or are we going to just let it go? Verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I'm going to call this goodwill. Goodwill. And, and I'm not saying blessing them with a box of old hand-me-down clothes either. 
Okay? Um, Paul says right here, bless and do not curse. And, and, and he's not saying bless and do not curse those who are good to you, is he? He says right there, those who persecute you. Ugh. Yuck. I don't want to do that. I want to persecute those who persecute me, right? I want them to feel the pain that I feel. That's not what Paul says. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Goodwill. And he goes on, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Let's call this sympathy. Or empathy, maybe. Loving one another never stands apart from others who are suffering. Okay? We are together in this. And, and when one person is suffering, the Bible says that the whole body suffers. I mean, it's not whole. And we need to walk with one another in the process of grief and suffering. If you know someone who is grieving or who is suffering, maybe they come to your mind tomorrow. Maybe they're coming to your mind because the Lord wants you to go and, and help them with something or to call them and say, how are you doing? I just, you just came to, mind, to my mind and I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do? Drop them a note. Sacrifice some time to go visit them. I, I took a turkey dinner to, to one of the families that had been nominated and, and I dropped it off and, and I'm talking with the husband and, and we're standing in his garage and uh, you know we're just, we're just catching up. because I, I mean, I know this person. I haven't seen him for a long time. We're just catching up on life and I'm kind of watching the time a little bit because all I had the, to spend there at his place was 20 minutes. I had another appointment that I needed to be to. And, and the 20 minutes is up, and I said to him, you know, I, I really need to go. I really have to be somewhere. And he said, well, he apologized for being long-winded. And then he said this, because I don't get very many visitors. And I thought, you know, um, note to self, this person needs visited more often. Um, we need to be sympathetic and empathetic to people. We need to genuinely care for them. It's easy to have sympathy for someone the day of the funeral. But, but their grief doesn't end at the funeral. In fact, their grief continues the first Thanksgiving and the first Christmas and the second and maybe even the third and fourth depending on, you know, de just depending on how they're dealing with the grief. We need to remember that. We need to, we need to think of those people in our lives who, who are hurting and who were hurting and we need to check up on them. We need to genuinely care for them. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. Um, this literally, the Greek sentence here literally reads, think the same thing towards one another. Think the same thing towards one another. Live in harmony. And as I've thought, I thought about this living in harmony together as, as far as the church, and I just I think about the goal of loving God and loving people. Let's do that together. Let's be like-minded with that. And then... Paul says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited as we're practicing, uh, strengthening our soul as we're serving others. We need to have humility in our life. Paul has hit this more than once in this. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. You know, we, we've already mentioned that it's not very fun being around an arrogant person or a person that's a snob. Paul says, don't be a snob. 
Don't be afraid to sit next to the, to the boy at school who nobody likes to sit with. You know, don't be afraid to say hi and give a hug to the person at work who, who maybe isn't all that nice to other people and, and maybe you know, doesn't have the best bathing habits. You know, it, it, Paul is talking about um, upper, middle, and lower class here. He's saying, look, forget it. Forget about the classes. We're all people in need of a Savior. Let's be humble. Humble before other people and serve them. What an incredible list Paul gives us here. A comprehensive picture of Christian love and life. Um, Christian churches would be much happier communities if we all loved one another in the way that Paul is talking about here. And, and I think it's, it's, it's good to train for this. And, and I think we can live that way. It's, it, it's, it's a transformation that God is doing in our life. As we condition our souls and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit, He will teach us and He will continue to change us and we will be conditioned, healthy, and strong. And I think what an incredible deal that we are the lowly subjects of a Creator who loves us very much and wants the best things for us. So we've tackled our relationship to God, to ourselves, to one another, and finally, Paul references our relationship to our enemies. Our enemies, not revenge, but service, Paul says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, beginning in verse 17. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is a three-week series in that section right there alone. And I'm just going to leave Paul's words to be the description on this point. Let me read that again, just so it sinks in a little bit more before we end the message. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, we need to serve not just one another in this room, but one another outside this room as well. And within our families. And as we do, as we do, we, we grow. We grow. We become, our minds become more renewed. Our, our, our lives become more transformed. Now, last night, my family and I um, practiced uh, a tradition that, that we have practiced over the last 15 or 20 years. Sarah and I celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary this month. Unbelievable. I can't believe it's been 20 years. It seems like it's only been like five of course, Christmas will be here in a day, so that's the way time works, right? Um, but we celebrate, we have this tradition, 
And, and it's not always the day after, you know, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, but um, we have this tradition of decorating the entire house um, with the Christmas stuff, putting up the tree, and, and then we have this big meal. Um, because, you know, as younger kids, we're always going to the grandparents, right? Or to other families on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So, so this is our tradition. And, and we decorate the house, and then we have this big, big meal. We, we grill steaks on the grill, and Sarah cooks all of the rest of the stuff, and, and we light candles, and we turn out all the lights, and we eat together. And then after, after supper, I get out my Bible, and I read the story of the birth of Jesus. And then I, in Luke, and then I read the story of the angels coming to the shepherds. And, and at that point in our evening, I, we, we put the, the angel on top of the tree. And then I, I went, last night, I went to the end of the book of Mark, and I read the account of the crucifixion. Because that's why Jesus came in the first place. He was on a mission. And then, um, after we read that, um, one, of the, one of our three kids, whose turn it is that particular year, we keep track... You don't want to not keep track. We lost the paper one time. Bad idea. Always keep track of whose turn it is. Okay? And last night, whoever's turn it was took this nail that we have as an ornament and placed it inside. Some of you may do this. Placed it inside the tree someplace where only we know it is. Because we know that the reason that we're celebrating Christmas is for that. For the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I prayed, and then we actually did some Christmas presents because Cassandra and Luke are here from Minnesota, and they're not going to be here for Christmas. And, and, and as I'm sitting at the end of the table, right, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and there's my wife and, and my mother-in-law and Cassandra and Luke and Zach and Brittany, and, and um, some of you who have younger kids, you know, these sorts of dinners are not that, you know, restful and relaxing. Um, but, but it was just an incredibly special time. I mean, all of our kids were getting along. And, and, and it's good conversation. And it, it, it was just a sweet moment. Those are the kind of moments that we can have as a community when we practice Romans 12. Within this family. Now, by all means, our kids don't get along all the time, Okay. I, I don't want you to have that false impression. You know, we're a family, a normal family. But there are those special moments. And, and just, a, a, just a point of advice, when you have those special moments, write them down so that when you're in the midst of one of those not-so-special moments, you can go back and look and see that it's possible. Okay? It can happen. But, but this morning we celebrate as the worship team comes up as we, as we close our service today, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He came. He came as our Savior. What a... What an amazing thing. And, and we should be amazed by that. Because, you know, as we think about ourselves and, and in, in reflection of, of what we just 
went through. And, and I don't want you leaving this morning just feeling totally discouraged like, Pastor Dave, I, I, you know, I know there's a lot of these things that Paul talked about that I need to change in my life and just be kind of bummed out about that. You know what? Conviction, yes. Okay? Conviction, repentance, live life. Okay? Repent of it. If you've been convicted by something this morning, repent of it. And then live in the fullness of Christ. And train. As the ushers come and, and, and they pass the elements out, I want you to take a piece of bread and I want you to, to think back at that time when Jesus was, was with the 12 disciples and, and he passed the bread around and he said, guys, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And he prayed and then he said, take and eat. Okay, we are, as we take and eat, we are acknowledging that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down here, lived the perfect life and gave himself up for crucifixion, a broken body. We partake and we praise Him and we thank Him. We celebrate that. And then as we partake of the cup, I want you to think about that night when Jesus passed the cup around. He said, guys, this this is a symbol of my body which is shed for you. He prayed and He said, drink. And, And then He said, I will not drink of this wine again until I return. But we do. We drink and we eat to remember. We celebrate. We worship. Let's do that this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for this symbol that you've given us. And I pray, Lord, as as all those in this room who are Christ followers, as we celebrate this, as we partake of this morning, Lord, oh, Father, teach us. Speak to us. We want to listen. We want to live for you. Oh, Lord, we celebrate that incredible day when you were crucified and rose again for us. In Jesus' name.